All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you all here. Hope you guys had a good week. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. It's good to be in the house of the Lord here on the Sabbath and study God's word together. Uh, We have an interesting topic tonight and tomorrow morning. Um, Our topic tonight is on the mystery of death. And a lot of people wonder, well, what happens when you die? And that's what we're going to take a look at here this evening. So before we get into God's word, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this day. Lord, we want to thank you so much for bringing us here tonight, Lord, to study your holy word. And we pray, Father, that as we study, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that you would help us to see this topic of death very clearly, Lord, that we would understand what the Bible really teaches about it and that we would um, not have to face death afraid, Lord, but that we could face uh, the future, Lord, with confidence, knowing that death is, is just asleep, Lord, and that uh, the next thing we'll see is your coming. So bless us, Lord, as we get into our study tonight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever looked death squarely in the face and wondered what really happens after death? Our atheist friends would say that our physical body is there, uh, and, and when you die and you're buried, that's it. Life is over, it's finished. That's what our atheist friends would say. If you ask one of our Buddhist or Hindu friends, they will tell you that when you die and you fulfill your karma, you will um, come back in reincarnation, right? You'll come back as another uh, animal or another person, um, or a servant uh, based on, on, on the lessons that they failed to learn in this life. Many Christians would say that when you die, you either, that your immortal soul goes to either heaven or hell. They say, well, if you're good, you'll go to heaven, and if you're bad, you'll go to hell. And most of our Catholic friends would say, if you aren't quite good enough to go to heaven, and you're not bad enough to go to hell, then you would go to what's known as purgatory which apparently isn't as bad as hell, and it's not as good as heaven. But you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's sort of a limbo stage where you hope that a living relative will pay a little extra money and uh, get you out of purgatory and into heaven. So that is what some people believe. Then you go to some Protestant funerals, and the preacher will say that the person is awaiting the resurrection when Jesus comes, but then later in the same sermon, the preacher will say that the person's soul is in heaven. So where are they? Uh, People get confused. Where is the person? Are they in heaven? Are they sleeping? What, What is this all about? So people are very perplexed about this subject of death. So tonight we're going to ask a few questions and try to find answers from God's word. Question number one is, is death the end? Question two, Are the dead asleep waiting for the resurrection when Jesus comes, or are they in heaven already? And number three, is the soul immortal, or is there a resurrection? So these are our questions that we'll take a look at here tonight. You see, if the soul is immortal, then it could go to either heaven or hell immediately after death. And if the soul is immortal, then the dead could actually talk to the living. If the soul is immortal, then that opens the way for the possibility of reincarnation like what the Hindus believe. Um, The whole issue of death has to do with the question of immortality. Do we have immortality now, or do we have immortality uh, when when it's given to us at the second coming of Jesus? So where do many people go to find answers to these questions? Well, many people often go to the bookstore and they pick up these books on near-death experiences, Maybe you've seen some of them, like 30 minutes in heaven or 60 minutes in hell, or, you know, there's a whole list of them out there that have achieved bestseller status in recent years. And most of these books teach that the person is not really dead when they die. Many of them teach that the dead can actually communicate with the living. But are these books the authority for Christians? No, they're not, friends. Would you agree with me tonight that God's word is the authority? This is God's word, and we should base all of our beliefs off of God's word. And I believe that it's the only reliable place to find information about this topic of death. So that's what we're going to take a look at here tonight. Let's go first to the book of Revelation. And we're going to see a little bit about what Revelation says about death. In the very first chapter of Revelation, we see that it introduces us to Jesus Christ. After all, it is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. 
So in Revelation chapter 1, we see that he is wearing glowing white robes. His eyes are a flame of fire. He's walking amongst the seven golden candlesticks. And Jesus identifies himself in this way. In Revelation 1.18, he says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So friends, the reason we need not fear death is because Christ has conquered death. Amen? He rose again. Um, He rose again on that beautiful Sunday morning, and he lives in heaven interceding for us now. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the condemnation of our sin. And since the wages of sin is death, as the Bible says, Jesus experienced this death for us. Jesus went into the grave and he came out victorious. So friends, he's got the keys of Hades and of death. That means he has the keys to the grave. So we can trust Jesus to know what happens after death. Amen? He's the one that created us. He's the one that redeemed us. And he has conquered death. So we can go to Jesus to find answers this evening. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. Back to the beginning Uh, of the creation week to find out what happens when a person dies and what a person is made up of. Because if we can understand what happened at the beginning, uh, then we can also understand what happens when we die. The Bible says here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now notice that God forms man out of the dust of the ground. That is, the body. Then the Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now, does the Bible say here that God put an immortal soul in Adam? No, it does not, right? The formula reads dust plus breath equals a living soul. Now, a living soul means a living person. Uh, The New King James actually translates translates the word soul as living being. So man became a living being. So I don't have a soul. I am a soul. I'm a living creature, and so are you. Amen? (laughs) So another name for soul in the Bible is person or life. For example, the New King James in the King James translates Ezekiel 18.4 in this way. It says, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall what? Die. Die. Today's English version of that same passage says, the person who sins is the one who will die. The Living Bible says, it is for a man's own sins that he will die. So can the soul or the, can the, soul or the person who sins die? Absolutely. According to this verse, Absolutely. Friends, there is no such thing in the Bible as an immortal soul. Only God is immortal. Listen to this. The Bible uses the word soul over 1,600 times, and never once does it use the word immortal soul together. Only God himself is immortal. Let's define the terms here just briefly. Mortal means subject to die. We are all mortals, and we are subject to die. We could leave tonight, and we could get in a car accident and we, we could die. Life is fragile. Life, we are mortal. Immortal means imperishable. The Bible never uses the, the term immortal soul or immortality of the soul. These two phrases are never used, but the Bible does tell us who is immortal. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here we see that the king is immortal. God himself is immortal. But we don't receive immortality as mortals. We don't receive immortality until the coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, And this mortal must put on immortality. Yes, of course, friends, when we come to Christ, when we have a relationship with him, he gives us the gift of eternal life, but the gift of immortality does not come until the second coming of Christ. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, Paul writes, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in light and unapproachable light. So here we see in the scripture, who alone has authority, uh, immortality? It would be God, right? 
In Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, God will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So friends, God will give eternal life and immortality to those who are seeking it, to those who are putting God first in their lives each and every day. The Bible is very clear on this matter of immortality. So where did this idea of the immortal soul come from if it's not coming from the Bible? Well, friends, it came from pagan Greek philosophy. You see, the Greeks taught that the soul could live separate from the body. They taught that the soul was a distinct entity which had life on its own. But the Bible teaches that as human beings, we are an integrated unit made up of physical, mental, and spiritual components. And these components are inseparable. God made us this way. So the pagan, the pagan philosophers, uh, the pagan Greek philosophers, they bought into this lie that Satan gave way back in the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. The devil said this to Eve. He said, you shall not surely die. The devil wanted Eve to think that she would never suffer the consequences of sin, that a part of her would always live on, and that she would never experience death. And so this concept of the immortal soul seems to have come straight out of Satan's playbook back in the beginning, back in Genesis. So spiritualism teaches that the soul is immortal. Spiritualism teaches that when you die, there is this essence of you that lives on forever and ever. Spiritualism teaches that, when you, come, that you can come back and you can actually talk to the living. Do you see why this would be such a deadly and bad idea? The devil can use these false ideas about death to deceive people, and he has done this time and time again. His evil angels can masquerade as our dead loved ones. They can bring us so-called messages from heaven, messages from beyond the grave that can mislead us into accepting Satan's lies. I don't know about you, friends, but I don't want my beliefs to come from spiritualism or pagan Greek philosophy. I want my beliefs to come from the Bible. Amen? In fact, the Bible warns us that the devil will seek to deceive people by giving the appearance that he's actually an angel of light. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians um, 11, 13 to 15. It says, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That is, he can give the appearance that he is still a good angel. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers, that is, the other fallen angels, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So here we see that Satan and his angels can appear to be good angels or even appear as dead loved ones. So it's vital that we understand what the Bible says about this issue because we do not want to be deceived in these last days. Amen? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Do not believe every spirit, but do what? Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we test these spirits? How do we test these prophets? Well, Isaiah 8.20 tells us, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Friends, if some dead loved one or some angel or, uh, of light appears to you and starts telling you things that are contrary to God's word, Friends, there is no light in them. If they're not speaking according to God's word, there is no light. There is no truth in what they're saying. It's a deception. And if that ever happens to you, friends, claim the power of Jesus. Amen? And tell them to be gone in the name of Jesus Christ because there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There is wonder-working power. So we've seen thus far that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that we are made up of dust plus breath. And that means that we equal a living being. And when it comes to death, this issue of death, the Bible teaches that death is simply creation in reverse. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says that when a person dies, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who did what? God who gave it, yes. So notice that there is something interesting about this word spirit. The Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach which means, uh, actually means breath. So spirit and breath are actually the same thing in the Bible. 
So um, not spirit and soul. Oftentimes people get that confused. But the spirit and the soul are different. So during creation, God forms man from the dust of the ground, forming the body. And God breathes into man his ruach, that is his spirit, his breath. And man becomes a living being, a living soul. And when a person dies, their body goes back to the dust, back to the ground, it decomposes, and uh, the spirit or breath goes back to God who gave it. So the Bible teaches that breath and spirit are the same thing. Let's look at another example of this. In Job chapter 27, verse 3, the Bible says, All the while my breath is in me, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Friends, what is in your nostrils? Well, it would be the breath that God has given you, right? In other words, God gives you life. He gives you life each and every day. He sustains our life. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, The body without the spirit or the breath is dead. Maybe I can illustrate it another way by using this light bulb. The bulb represents the body. Now, to get light, I need this bulb, but I need more than just the bulb. I need power to light the bulb, don't I? Because the light bulb alone does not give me light unless there's power. So the power comes through the cord into the bulb and that produces light. So what happens when you unplug the light? Well, the power simply goes back to the powerhouse. And the power represents God's spirit or God's breath, his ruach, as it says in Hebrew. So when we stop breathing, our hearts stop beating and we eventually die. Since the power to create life is with God, his spirit, which gave life, then returns back to God. So is there any consciousness in death, you wonder? Well, you know, when you die, do, do, they, do they know what's going on? Do the dead know what's going on? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Psalms 146, verse 4, his spirit, or his breath, his ruach, departs. He returns to his earth, and in that very day, his plans perish. Now, in the King James, it says that in that very day, his thoughts perish, showing that there is no consciousness at all in death. When you die, you don't, you're not continuing to think after that. Your brain is turned off, right? It is dead. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 tells us, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. The dead know nothing. Why don't they know anything? Well, it's because there is no consciousness in death. The breath has simply returned to God, and the body has gone to dust, and they are simply resting secure. Verse 6 continues saying, it says, Also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. So if the soul went to heaven when you died, at least there would be love for God, right? But the Bible says that their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Why? It's because they are simply sleeping. They're simply resting in the grave. The Bible teaches that death is like a sleep that lasts until Christ's second coming. Bible writers declare that death is asleep over 50 times throughout the Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we won't all be dead when Jesus comes again, but we shall all be what? Changed. I cannot wait for that change. How about you? It says, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the, let's see, I think I have a typo there. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised, how? Incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Another verse here in Psalms 13, 3, David says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of what? Death. In the Bible, death is simply a rest. It's a sleep. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 10, it says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And then in verse 10, it says, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And friends, David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he messed up. He made some serious mistakes throughout his life. And praise, praise the Lord that he repented. He turned back to the Lord. And God was able to forgive him and to continue to use him. Uh, but if you think that anyone, you know, if you would think that anyone would be in heaven right now, you would probably think, well, David would probably be someone that would, would probably, probably be in heaven, right? 
But in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 39, Peter is giving his uh, sermon there at Pentecost, and he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you about the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So right there it says, David did not ascend into the heavens. Therefore, he's not there. He's not in heaven. Instead, he's simply resting in the grave. He's waiting for the coming of Christ. With that being said, the Bible does tell us that there are at least three people that have been named that we know that are for sure in heaven. Enoch is one of them. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch, when he was taken away so that by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. That means he was translated and was not found because God had taken him. For, when, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He lived in such a way that he pleased God, that God, God just took him to heaven without seeing death. He was translated. And then there are also Moses and Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, Then it happened as they, that is Elijah and Elisha, they were talking uh, continued and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So there we see Elijah was also translated without seeing death. And Elijah and Enoch represent those who will be taken to heaven at the second coming of Jesus that without, uh, without seeing death. Then Moses died and he was resurrected according to Jude 1 9 as an example of the righteous dead uh, that will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ and as we see here in Luke chapter 9 verse 30 the two men that talked to Jesus Peter James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration were Moses and Elijah so this was a literal event that took place Jesus and his disciples there literally saw Moses and Elijah and friends, we want our, our beliefs to be based on God's word. But unfortunately, there are many people out there that are basing their beliefs on their experiences. And that is a dangerous thing to trust, to, to trust your experience over God's word, because our experiences can deceive us, can't they? We can see things, uh, we can experience things that are not according to God's word. Um, probably most of you have heard of out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences. I, I would imagine all of us have heard about that. It's often said that these experiences are evidence that, uh, that we have a soul that can depart from our bodies. Well, one, one young lady told about a time when she and some of her friends were doing drugs and, and she passed out. And her friends thought that she was dead and so they, they dumped her body beside uh, a hedge some friends, right? <laughs> but uh, she said that while she was behind the hedge, her soul left her body and she looked down on herself so that she could see what was going on. Somebody else once told of being in an accident and then loaded into the back of an ambulance. And as they were there on the way to the hospital, uh, they, they said that their soul left their body and, and that they could see everything that was going on inside the ambulance from an out-of-body experience. So friends, these out-of-body experiences occur, and people say, well, here's the evidence. Look, th these people experienced this, so it must be true. We must have a soul that leaves our body. Now, one thing I would like to point out about this is that people who have these near-death experiences typically have them when they're under a great deal of stress. Uh, maybe they're um, in surgery or, or, or whatever at a hospital. Maybe they're doing drugs. Their life is hanging on by a thread, and they have these out-of-body experiences. Pilots in centrifuges under tremendous amounts of G-forces G have been known to have these out-of-body experiences as well. Friends, if you can stimulate a certain part of your cerebral cortex, you can have an out-of-body experience. But you never hear of anybody who's relaxing on a beach, let's say in Cancun, just on a nice vacation, all of a sudden having an out-of-body experience. They usually happen under a great deal of stress and turmoil. You never hear of a, a librarian who, who, uh, who said, well, it was a particularly quiet Thursday morning and I had an out-of-body experience. You never hear that. 
It's people who are always under a great deal of stress that experience this. So what does that tell us? Well, look at this statement from the Washington Post. It says, a new study suggests that these out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. So in the article, they spoke uh, that a little part of your brain uh, called the angular gyrus, and the angular gyrus helps you process sensory information. It affects how you perceive your body. So what they're suggesting is that when this little part of the brain is under stress and it misfires, an out-of-body experience may occur. We all know that our minds can, can deceive us. Uh, they can see strange things at times. Under, circum, under certain circumstances, you can see some of the strangest things. The brain is a marvelous organ, but it can be, unfortunately, abused. Um, if, you put, if, you, if you're put under the right or wrong conditions, the result can be an out-of-body experience. It does not suggest, though, that we have a soul that leaves our body. The Bible gives no indications of that, friends. It's simply the brain playing tricks on you, and that would be consistent with what we read throughout Scripture. So let's continue digging into God's Word here as we continue to learn more about the mystery of death. We want to understand this. So what about Jesus? What did Jesus believe about this topic of death? Well, one day, Jesus and his disciples, they were traveling, and they were actually on their way to visit their friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, um, but Jesus got the news that Lazarus was sick and that he actually had died. And, and, uh, and yet, instead of rushing there to comfort Mary and Martha, Jesus waited three days before arriving at their home. And while they were on their way, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of what? His death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He just cut to the chase and said, guys, he's actually dead. So for Jesus, as for all the Bible writers, death is simply a sleep. Jesus then visited Lazarus' home and raised him from the dead in demonstration of his power. For this would become a powerful testimony of his resurrection power for all humanity until the end of time. If he can resurrect Lazarus, he can resurrect us at his coming. Amen? Listen to what Jesus said here to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 23. He said, your brother will rise again. So Jesus explained to, to Martha that even death cannot snatch away our assurance of eternal life. He will rise again, Martha. I don't know about you, friends, but I would rather get my religion from Jesus than from, Gregan, uh, from Greek pagan philosophy that has come into the church. So what did Martha believe about death? Well, in John chapter 11, verse 24 and 24, 25, Martha said to him, that is to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection when? At the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So Martha, who got her religion directly from Jesus, believed that her brother would be resurrected at the last day when Jesus comes again. The resurrection of Lazarus is proof that Jesus will one day raise our dead loved ones as well. Jesus says that you don't need to be filled with sorrow, you don't need to be filled with grief, because there is a resurrection coming, and we have great hope for that resurrection. I, one day we will see our dead loved ones again, and they're simply resting until the second coming. God has a record of their identity in his mind, and Christ will come and he will raise them from the dead. So Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of his grave alive. Now let's suppose for a moment that as some people believe that when you die, you go straight to heaven or straight to hell. Let's imagine that Lazarus was was good, and he, he had a relationship uh, with Jesus, and so he went to heaven, and uh, he's, he's all of a sudden up there in heaven. He's been there for three days, and, uh, and Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, uh, instead of saying, Lazarus, come forth, Jesus would have said, Lazarus, come down, but Jesus did not say that, right? He said, Lazarus, come forth, 
Now, if I was Lazarus and I had been up in heaven for three days enjoying the beauties of heaven, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come down, I would have said, Lord, please, I'm really enjoying heaven right now. Can I just stay up here, please? I would have tried to reason with him, you know. But, uh, but Lazarus did not do that, friends. And why? It was because he was simply resting in the grave. Lazarus did not go to heaven. If he would have gone to heaven and come back, he could have written a book just like, uh, just like all these near-death experiences, you know, 30 minutes in heaven, three days in heaven by Lazarus. You know, he could have had that book, uh, but he did not. And it was, it was because he did, simply never went to heaven. He was still sleeping in the grave, just like Jesus believed and just like Martha believed. Friends, it's wonderful to know that God has marked the graves of our loved ones. It's encouraging to know that the heartaches of earth that they were so troubled with are now over for them, that they're not in pain anymore. They're simply resting. It lifts our spirits to know that, that they aren't experiencing that suffering anymore. If you lost a loved one to cancer or whatever it is, it's encouraging to know that they're no longer in that pain. In Job chapter 14, verse 21, in the NIV, it describes how much a dead person knows. It says, if his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he does not see it. So people have sometimes said, oh, well, I'd like to think of my mother or my father up in heaven looking down on me. But what if you have a husband that abuses you and your mother is up in heaven watching that abuse? What if a mother dies and she's up in heaven and her child runs out and gets hit by a car and she has to watch the whole thing? What would that be like for the mother in heaven? It would not be heaven for her to see all the misery and the pain that her loved ones experience on this earth. God is too merciful for that, friends. Death is a state of perfect rest or sleep until the resurrection when Christ wakes you up and says, now all the sorrow is over. When we die, it's a perfect rest. And you, there's, no, uh, there's no awareness of any passage of time. You know, just like when you go to bed at night, you know, you wake up hopefully eight hours later and, you know, time has passed, but to you, you went to sleep and hopefully you woke up and there's no, no passage of time. That's what the Bible describes uh, it like. Psalm 115, 117 says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down to silence. Now, if the dead were up in heaven, what would they be doing? They would be praising the Lord. But the Bible says here that, that they will not be praising the Lord. The dead do not praise the Lord. But throughout the Bible, it describes death as a sleep. The Bible talks about the resurrection at the coming of Christ. It talks about graves being opened. The Bible is very clear and plain on this subject of death. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, when we commit our lives to Christ, and when we die to self, when we die to our old way of life, our life, our identity is hidden with Christ in God. And when we literally die, our genuine identity, our genuine life is still hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, it continues, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, when that loved one died as a believer, their life is hidden with Christ in God. God has preserved their true identity. He knows everything about that loved one that passed away. They simply rest. They're simply sleeping. There's no perceived passage of time. They don't know about the trauma that their family is experiencing in this world at this time. They're simply resting. And when Christ comes, the most spectacular event will happen. All the graves will open, the graves of the righteous, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I want to be ready for that day. How about you? But some may wonder, well, what about the thief on the cross? What, what about that situation? Well, uh, what did Jesus mean when he spoke to the thief on the cross and promised, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did Christ himself go to paradise that day? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Let's let Jesus answer. Remember that Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rested in the tomb on, on Sabbath. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, he resurrected. And on that Sunday morning, Mary came early to the tomb, 
And uh, although she did not recognize Jesus at first, look at what happened when she finally realized that it was Jesus. She rushed and she fell at his feet and worshiped him. Let's look at the story here in John 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you, had, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. So how could Christ have said to the thief on Friday that he would meet him on paradise, in paradise that day when Jesus himself didn't go to paradise until after Sunday morning when he was there with Mary? He said to Mary that morning, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So if we believe Jesus met the thief in heaven on Friday, it contradicts the entire Bible teaching on death. And that the Bible... That's not how you interpret the Bible, friends. <laughs> Second, if Jesus had not yet ascended to his father on Sunday morning, how could he have told the thief on Friday that he'd be in paradise that day? Are we forced to believe either Jesus' statement to Mary on Sunday morning or his promise to the thief on Friday, Friday afternoon? No, we're not. Friends, when we encounter these apparent contradictions in Scripture, we immediately realize that something is wrong. Not with the word of God. There's nothing wrong with God's word. Amen. It is pure. It is true. But often there is a problem with our limited understanding of what the text is actually saying. Or sometimes there can be a, 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 an issue with the Bible translation that you're reading at times. And so it's good to be able to compare um, Bible translations. But this apparent contradiction instantly disappears with the simple movement of a comma. The placement of a comma can make a world of difference in this situation. And we must remember, friends, that punctuation, the punctuation that's found in the Bible, is not inspired. In fact, in the original Greek New Testament, there was no punctuation at all, and there was no punctuation until about 1400 or so AD. So that's 1400 years after the text of Scripture was written. So although God's holy word is inspired, Certainly, punctuation is not inspired. So let's look at a difference that a comma can make. Here's a phrase. A woman without her man is nothing. Now, let's try it a different way. A woman without her man is nothing. <laughs> see the difference, friends? As you can see, punctuation makes a big difference. And it certainly makes a difference when it comes to Christ's statement to the thief on the cross. Let's look again at what Jesus said. Luke 23, 43, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. By placing the comma before the word today, it gives the impression that the thief and, the, and Jesus would be in paradise together that very day. But the entire meaning of the statement changes if you put the comma after the word today like this. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So how do we know where the comma should be placed? Well, here's how you know, friends. First, the Bible does not contradict itself. And when, when God says over 53 times in the Bible that death is asleep, when God says 1,600 times that the soul is not immortal, when the Bible says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, you know that you have to place the comma correctly with the bulk of Scripture, with what it, Scripture is saying as a whole. But there's also another reason why you need to place the comma there, and, and that is because it's doubtful that the thief even died on that Friday. Notice what John chapter 19, verse 32 says. The Bible says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the other who was crucified with him. Why did they do this? Why would they break the legs? If he was dead, they would not break the legs, right? So he was obviously, they were obviously still living. Uh, and the Jews did not want them to continue to remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. Often it took at least two days to die, uh, two days for a person to die from crucifixion. It was a slow, miserable 
death. So that is why the soldiers broke the legs of the thieves. So they would not run away. Um, then they took these dead bodies and likely put them in a human, human garbage dump to let them die there, rather than, than to keep them on the cross on the Holy Sabbath day. Therefore, there's no clear text in Scripture showing that the thief actually died on that Friday. So when Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, that is right now, you will be with me one day in paradise. So what day would that thief go to paradise, friends? At the second coming of Jesus. When he is resurrected at the second coming, that is when he will go to heaven. So some say, okay, pastor, well, I get that. I get what you're saying. But the question comes up, well, doesn't the Bible say something about um, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Well, let's look at what the Bible says about that verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8, Paul writes, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So here Paul is stating his desire was to not stay in this old body, but to be in the presence of God. Now, I don't, I don't think anyone here in their right mind would disagree with that right now, that we would all probably wish to be in heaven rather than to be here on this earth with our, our current bodies. Amen? <laughs> So Paul says, well, if I had it my way, I'd be out of this old body and I would be present with the Lord. But when you look at the context of this passage, what Paul is saying is that he really hopes to be translated without seeing death. But Paul, t but Paul told us that when he would be present with the Lord, when you look at his other writings, look at this. Here, writing to the very same people, the Corinthian church, Paul told them when he would be present with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trumpet. Now, uh, notice it's at the last trumpet. It's not now. It's not, it's not when you die, but it, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Think about this for a moment. Remember, if people die and they go straight to heaven, there is no need for a resurrection. What would be the point of a resurrection if they're already in heaven? The best explanation that I've heard on this, and it's not a very good explanation, is that when God comes back to heaven from earth, uh, sorry, from heaven to earth, uh, so that he can, um, he can get new bodies uh, for us out of the ground. It, it, it doesn't really make sense, friends, because the Bible says that our new bodies will be given to the dead when they rise and meet the Lord in the air. We will be changed in a moment, the Bible says, in the, in the twinkling of an eye uh, at the coming of Christ. Elsewhere in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at, at hand. In other words, he's nearing death. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me when? On that day. And not to me only, but, to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So here we see that Paul knew that he would receive a crown of righteousness at the same time as everybody else, everybody else who was longing for the coming of Christ. And when would they receive it? It says, on that day. That is the day Jesus returns. When they're all caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So all Paul is saying uh, back in 2 Corinthians, that passage that we looked at, absent, with the, um, absent from the body, present with the Lord, is that he really wanted to be translated and be with the Lord without having to experience death. And I hope and pray, friends, that that can be our experience, too. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And I, I know that many will be alive when Christ comes. And I hope and pray that we can be among that number. Amen? But even if we die, it's okay, friends, because we know that the next thing, the very next thing that we will see is Jesus' second coming. It'll be beautiful, friends. In death, there is no awareness 
of the passage of time. The next thing believers will know is that they'll see Christ coming in the clouds. They'll be reunited with their loved ones, their friends, and they will ever be with the Lord. That's why Paul said he had a desire to depart and be with the Lord. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, Paul is not contradicting himself here, friends. He, um, from the text that we've already looked at, Paul believed that he would see Christ at the resurrection, at the second coming of Jesus. That is when he would receive the crown of righteousness, which would be given to him, and not only to him, but to all who love his appearing, the Bible says. So you have to dig deep into the context of Scripture. Don't let people tell you that, that one verse negates all these other texts in Scripture. It, it, it doesn't work that way, friends. Instead, we want to look at that difficult text in light of all of the Scripture texts on that particular passage, okay? Does that make sense? Don't want to take a text out of context and, and twist it to say something uh, contrary to the rest of Scripture, what Scripture has to say on it. So, friends, we see throughout Paul's life that Paul loved living for Christ, but he saw that death was just a sleep. And he knew that the next thing that he would see was Christ returning. In the same book, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. He was eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Again, here we see Paul's desire uh, is, is for the second coming of Jesus. He longed to see Jesus face to face. Uh, to him, death was gain. It meant freedom from the pain of a weary body. It meant deliverance from the Roman bondage that he was experiencing in that Roman prison. And total security from the temptations of Satan. To Paul, death was a sleep with no awareness of the passage of time. Paul knew that uh, when he closed his eyes in death, the next thing he would see is Jesus. And he would depart and he would be with Christ in the air and go to heaven with him and all the saints. Friends, that is far better. Amen? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, have you lost a loved one to death? I'm sure that we all have. The good news, though, is that death has lost its sting. The good news is, is that the grave cannot hold us because Jesus went down into the grave and he came out victorious. And now our life is hid with Christ in God. Our identity is solid in Christ Jesus. Our name is on his lips. It's, he's written pardon on the palms of his hands for you and for me. And when he comes again, he will say, Joe, come forth. He will say, Mary, come forth. And he will call us by name. When Christ comes, he knows us, friends. He knows everything about us. And our dead loved ones will come up out of the grave. Look at what the Bible says here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. The second death is eternal death. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow morning. It's eternal separation from God. There is no eternal death for the believer. Amen? You and I may experience the first death, that is, we may sleep in the grave and wait until the second coming of Jesus, but the believer in Christ does not have to experience the second death or eternal separation from God. So it's only death from a human standpoint, but not from the standpoint of God. And although believers may die that first death, it's not final, it's not an eternal death. Because the Bible says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. So friends, one day soon, Jesus will come, and he will stream down the corridor of the sky. The earth will be illuminated with the glory of God. The dead bodies will be resurrected and receive new immortal bodies and uh, with the living, and they will be caught up to meet Christ in the air. 
1 Thessalonians 4.16 describes this event. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It's going to be a loud event, as we saw a few weekends ago. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Think about this, friends. If we are already in heaven, if the righteous are already in heaven with Christ after they die, then why would there be a glorious event on earth at the second coming of Jesus? It simply makes no sense. If souls can live in heaven uh, without a body for thousands of years, why come and get the body at the second coming of Christ? It does not make sense. All the Bible points to one glorious final climactic event. And that's why Christians have always longed for the second coming of Christ. Go to uh, any old cemetery and you'll see you know, that they were looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 continues. It continues to describe the resurrection at Christ's second coming. It says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, that is, the righteous dead, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Friends, you will see that baby that, that you laid in the grave. You will see the father, your father that died from cancer. You can see them again. Your mother that you've lost, you can embrace once again. Together we will be caught up to meet Christ in the sky. Think of the excitement. Think of the, the beauty that that moment will have. What a blessing it will be to see families reunited and friends reunited. I can't wait for that day. How about you? Aren't you thankful that Jesus has conquered death? He's got the keys, it says. He, he knows, and, and he is the life giver, friends. And my question for us tonight is, will you recommit your heart? Will you recommit your life to the life giver this evening? If that's your desire, uh, would you stand with me as we close for a word of prayer? That you want to just recommit your life to the life giver, Jesus Christ, tonight. Let's bow our heads here for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, that you are the life giver. Lord, you've conquered death. Lord, you rose victorious from the grave. And because of that, Father, we can have confidence that you will resurrect us. You will resurrect our dead loved ones at your coming, Lord. And Lord, we know that there will be some that will be alive when you come the second time. And Lord, we pray that we could be among that number if it is your will, Lord. We pray that you would, um, that you would work in our lives, Lord, that you would lead us to a deeper faith relationship with you. Lord, that we might also point people to you, that we would spread the good news far and near, Lord, that we might help hasten your coming and that others too might uh, have a saving relationship with you. Lord, thank you for this truth about death. Lord, thank you for the comfort that it brings uh, to us to know that we're simply resting, waiting for the coming of Christ. And Lord, we, um, we pray, Lord, that you would protect us from the deceptions here in these last days. Lord, there will be, there will be experiences that people have, as we're already seeing, of, of dead loved ones appearing to them. Uh, but Lord, we realize from Scripture here tonight, Lord, that that is really dead. Uh, it is really Satan and his angels masquerading as angels of light, masquerading as our dead loved ones. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us from that deception, Lord, that we would cling to your word over our feelings, over our experience, and that we would trust wholly upon you and your word, Lord. Bless each one of us, Lord, as we continue to study your word and as we continue to live by faith in you, Lord. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.